Genesis chapter 16 tonight. Would you turn there? Genesis chapter 16. I want to start out tonight with a bit of uh, pretty irrelevant information, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. I uh, was just curious. I was thinking along the lines of this message, and so I got to wondering... I wonder how many choices a regular human being makes during the course of a day. Normal human being being relevant. <laughs> but a normal human being, and <clears throat> listen, I don't have Alexa or whatever that thing is, so I just used the old-fashioned way I Googled it. And if it's on the internet, it's right. If it's on there multiple times, it's really right. And I found this number a number of times, uh, including Psychology Today. They said that the average person makes 35,000 choices a day. 35, some of you going, uh, lunch, supper, <laughs> breakfast, socks, 35,000 choices a day. That's nearly 13 million choices a year. Now granted, some of those choices are really pretty insignificant. Choices like what shoes you're going to wear, or where you're going to eat lunch, or what you're going to watch on television. I know you ladies are thinking, no, you're already wrong. It's not insignificant what shoes I wear. Well, to me, it's very insignificant. What is more significant is where we're going to eat lunch, amen. But in the grand scheme of things, those are really pretty insignificant decisions that really don't carry any major consequences if you don't choose the right one. Like there's a right shoe to wear or a right place to eat, you know what I'm saying. But then there are choices having to do with things like marriage and careers and parenting, and finances, that if you make the wrong choice, could cost you big time. Big time. Now, whether, whether we make 35,000 choices a day, I, that, that's really not important. Regardless of the number of Choices you make in a year, regardless of how many choices you made in 2018, let me put it that way, how many of you would admit, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of you would admit out of the 30, 13 million choices I made in 2018, some of them weren't good choices? Yeah. 
We all fall into that category whether we raise our hand or not. Now, in a perfect world, no choice we make would render any negative consequences. And in a perfect world, you could have your cake and eat it too. And it would be non-fattening. But alas, we don't live in a perfect world. And we have to make decisions. And every decision we make has a consequence. And nowhere is that more true or more significant than in our spiritual lives. And one of the decisions that we have to make sometimes is whether or not we're going to wait on God or whether we're going to embrace the age-old adage, God helps those who help themselves. And those who choose the latter usually have a thought process that goes something like this. I'm a reasonably bright individual. I have a decent amount of life experience. I'm an above average problem solver. So why don't I just go ahead and see what I can do? And before long, they find themselves running ahead of God hoping that he will do one of two things. Either that he will approve of what they're doing or he will come along and clean up the mess that they've now made because they've gotten ahead of him. One of the classic examples of trying to help God and the mess that can create is found in Genesis chapter 16. Look at verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Now, I think I'm preaching to to people that, for the most part, understand what has led up to this point, the promise that that God made to to make Abraham's seed a great nation. You remember that? You know about that? He promised that it would be his heir, Abraham's heir. I'm talking uh, someone born of his own DNA. That would be the beginning of a people that God said would outnumber the stars. Matter of fact, if I remember right, God told him to step outside his tent and look up. And God said, the seed that's going to come from you, from your son, will outnumber the stars. I believe there's another place in the scriptures where He said it would be a people more populous than the sands on the seashore. He even even sealed that covenant with a a special ceremony. And 
they chopped up animals and they laid those animals uh, in a row and Abraham was to walk through the, the midst of those animals and you can read all about that in Genesis chapter 15. But here we are in Genesis chapter 16 and we're 10 years beyond that. So Abraham and Sarah have waited 10 years and nothing, nada, zippo, zilch, no conception, no pregnancy, no child. Look at verse 2. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may have obtained children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. We're about to learn something here tonight, church. Pay attention. How you decide to deal with God's delays will determine how you experience your destiny. Look at it again. How you decide to deal with God's delays will determine how you experience your destiny. Sarah and Abraham did not deal well with God's delay, and it cost them. And I'm not sure what Sarah's rationale was at this point. And I'm just speculating here tonight, but it may have been something like this. I may not be able to bear children, but Abraham could still father a nation. And all God told him was that he would have a son who would come from him. He didn't say that I would necessarily be his mother. Here's another possibility. Maybe Sarah thought something like this. I wonder if God is waiting on us. Maybe this is a test to see if we're willing to pursue his promise or if we're just going to sit around and let him do everything. Now, yeah, I'm just speculating. That's not in here, but I'm making a point that sometimes our thought processes get pretty messed up. Now, today we have the benefit of knowing how history unfolded. So we can't really appreciate Abraham and Sarah's dilemma. From our comfortable vantage point, it's easy for you and I to read into this, to read this passage of Scripture, and it's easy for us to know what they should have done. But before we start railing on Abraham for getting ahead of God, think back to your last big blunder. Don't blurt it out. Just think back to your last big blunder. Why did the choice you made then appear 
so rational in the moment. Maybe it was a career move, family decision, relationship decision, financial decision. But in the moment, it seems so rational. It seems so right. Think about some messes that you've made because you allowed your emotions to do your thinking. Look at verse 3. And Shri, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. I'm curious what Abraham and Sarah's conversations were like at this point. Talking about once Hagar started showing. I'm guessing there was a lot of rationalizing going on. Here's what it means to rationalize. To devise a self-satisfying but incorrect reason... For one's behavior. Got it again. To devise a self-satisfying but incorrect reason for one's behavior. So I can imagine the two of them eating supper and their conversation goes something like this. Isn't it amazing how God blessed our decision? I mean... He never would have allowed Hagar to conceive if he didn't approve, right? A self-satisfying but incorrect reason for one's behavior. A number of years ago, my wife and I were having a conversation with a friend of ours who Katie had been witnessing to and hoping to lead to the Lord. And... <clears throat> She, she said this, I know, I know that God is okay with me conceiving my son out of wedlock. I know God's okay with it because had, had, he, had I not conceived, had I not had him, then there's no way that I could imagine my life. A self-satisfying but incorrect reason for one's behavior. Listen to me, I'm talking about how you and I can rationalize decisions that we make after the point. I mean, it looked so right in the moment. It felt so right in the moment. Let me just say this, it's easy to find signs of God's approval in anything when we want it bad enough. Help me tonight, come on. This is Wednesday night, but we're in church, and I'm not just going to tickle you tonight. We're going to go somewhere with this, and it's going to be hard. It's easy for us 
to find signs of God's approval in anything. When we want it badly enough, when God's not within a thousand miles. Look at the second half of verse 4 again. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So here we begin to see the consequences of getting ahead of God. Once Hagar saw that she had conceived and Sarah had still not been able to conceive, she started despising and dishonoring Sarah. She started flaunting it. She started rubbing her her nose in it, if you will. When the consequences of sin begin to fall, relationships always suffer. And it gets real ugly real fast. Instead of the news of a son bringing joy to the home of Abraham and Sarah, it brought grief. You look at verses 5 and 6, everyone started turning on each other. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Note the end of verse 5 again. Sarah said, the Lord judge between me and thee. (laughs) So now Sarah wants to bring the Lord into the equation. Hello? Is it a a little late here, Sarah? You think maybe God should have been in the equation before this mess? Absolutely he should have. And he was. They just didn't listen. Hey, the time to bring God into a decision is before you make it, not after. Anytime you come up with your own solution, look at this. Anytime you come up with your own solution, but it's not in submission to God's strategy, it will become your sabotage. Chew on that for a minute. Anytime you come up with your own solution, but it's not in submission to God's strategy, it will become your sabotage. Abraham and Sarah's self-made solution sabotaged the harmony in their home. You with me? Thank you. You with me? Don't make me have to preach this all over again because I've got all night. Verse 15. Drop down to verse 15. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore 
and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. So Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael arrived. Somebody tell me, how old was he when Isaac was born? He was 100. So Abraham and Sarah tried to rush God, but it did no good. They still had to wait. Listen, our running ahead of God doesn't put the slightest bit of pressure on him at all. It's futile to try and coerce the Lord into giving us what we want when we want it. You're dealing with the God of the universe. You're dealing with sovereignty. And I don't care who you think you are, you cannot outpunch God. You cannot back God into a corner where, where it's, hey, either God, you either do what we tell you to do when we say to do it, or else. You know, preacher, I'd never say that. Well, not with your lips, but with your actions. You'll get, I'll get, what God wants us to have, if he wants us to have it at all, we'll get what God wants us to have in his time. And it won't be a moment sooner or a moment later. So you can wait joyfully, or you can wait miserably. Either way, either way, you're going to wait until God says it's time. You may find yourself in a situation of some kind right now. And you're, you're praying that great American prayer, Lord, hurry up! You want your answer now. You want your blessing now. You want your solution now. And you are so tempted to just get things going on your own. You know, kind of help God out a little bit. If that's where you are tonight, I've got one word for you. W-A-I-T. Wait. And here's what I mean. Number one, walk a little slower. When you feel like you need to hurry God along, or you need to make something happen to advance God's agenda for your life, Cool your jets. Pump the brakes. I had not intended to use this quote tonight. I put it on Facebook, and I had just read it, and I, I thought it was good. I never intended to use it tonight until I was in my office uh, just before services, an hour or so before services. I was going back over my notes and got to this, this part of the message. The Lord just prompted me about 
this quote by F.B. Meyer that I had put on Facebook, and I think it's very applicable here. Never act in panic, nor allow man to dictate to you. Well, this price is only good for today. You ever been there? It's a good price, but it's only for today. Well, I just want you to know somebody else put in a bid too. And I go on and on. Don't allow man to dictate to you. Calm yourself and be still. Force yourself into the quiet of your closet. This is F.B. Myers from a few years ago. That would be your prayer closet, okay? Don't go home and shut the door. You get that prayer warrior lady. But force yourself into the quiet of your closet until the pulse beats normally. And the scare has ceased to disturb. When you are most eager to act, is the time when you will make the most pitiable mistakes. Do not say in your heart what you will or will not do. But wait upon God until he makes known his way. But, but, Pastor, but, but Pastor, there's another bid on this house, and what do we do if we don't say we'll take it now and somebody else gets it? Well, well, preacher, what? I mean, what if, what if this car salesman was actually an honest one? If you sell cars, I'm sorry. And it really was just for today. And we come back tomorrow, and it's $7,000 more. Preacher, what, what, what do I do? I love this. So long as that way is hidden, it is clear that there is no need of action, and I love this, and that he accounts himself responsible for all results of keeping you where you are. But preacher, they said they've got to know by the end of the week, and if they don't know by the end of the week, we're going to offer this job to someone else. If you don't know what God wants you to do by the end of the week, God's responsible for the outcome of you waiting. If somebody else puts in a bid and you're not sure that that's, that's what you need to offer, somebody gets the house, God is responsible for the outcome of your waiting on him. But preacher, we wanted that car so bad, it was perfect for our family. Listen, if, if you go back another day and it's $7,000 more, God is responsible for that. As long as you're waiting on Him, He's responsible. And He's going to do for you what is right for you. And the moment you step outside of those boundaries is the moment you're on your own, brother. And good luck with that. 
Are we okay tonight? Step away from the situation and devote yourself to a time of prayer. Maybe even fasting. Seek the counsel of others you trust and who have the love and courage to say the things that you don't want to hear. Because a friend who always agrees with you either lacks discernment or they lack courage or they lack both. Whatever you do, stay committed to God's timetable. And here's why. Because most of, more often than not, we regret the things we did, not the things we didn't do. Can I get an amen right there? More often than not, we regret the things we did, not the things we didn't do. So W, just walk a little slower. Slow down. A, ask God for increased patience, wisdom, and self-control. You may have already prayed for these things. Preacher, I've been praying for patience. I've been praying for wisdom. I've been praying for self-control. But the fact that you're still agitated and itching for action says you need to keep praying for those things. And by the way, in your prayer time, feel free to express your worry and your fear and your frustration. Yeah, I know God already, already knows about that, but you expressing that is not really for God, it's for you. There's just something therapeutic about expressing ourselves to the Lord. And by the way, He's the safest place to vent to. There'll be no judgment there. There'll be no condemnation there. God knows that we're frail as dust. And He knows. He knows that we're fearful and that we're anxious and that we're worried and we're concerned and we're frustrated. So just talk to Him about it. Just reading this week's on 142, the Bible says that David poured out his complaint before God. And for crying out loud, if you're going to complain, do it to somebody that can do something about it. Number three, imagine the worst case scenario that might happen if you wait. A number of weeks ago, a young man asked me if he could take me out to lunch and I thought about it for about two seconds and I said absolutely by the way if you're lucky I won't even think about it two seconds with you he wanted to take me out for lunch he wanted to wanted to talk he said pastor you've talked a lot lately about getting good counsel and wise counsel and including your spiritual leaders and your decision making and let them pray with you about things. And so I just want to run something by you. And he did. And in the course of our conversation, I asked him this very thing. So tell me 
What is the worst thing that could happen if you don't do this? That's a good question. So what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? So instead of running ahead of God, or, or, or excuse me, instead of running ahead, stop and think ahead. And here's what you'll find in most situations, not all, but in most situations, the worst possible outcome is you're going to keep living in the house you're in. It's just that simple. It's been good enough for two years, three years, five years, ten years. It's been good enough. That's the worst thing that could happen. Come on. Worst thing that could happen is that somebody else gets that position. But can I remind you again that that's God's responsibility? I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you just have to keep driving a car that's not new. Can we be, just be practical tonight? That's the worst thing that could happen. Genesis, look at verse 9. We didn't read this. Look at verse 9. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress. By the way, <clears throat> Sarah kicked Hagar out. So now Hagar's pregnant. She's out in the, in the desert. She's alone. An angel comes to her and he tells her this. Go back home. And submit thyself under her hands. What? Is Hagar supposed to go back home and live life under less than favorable circumstances? Yes. Because it's better to be in less than ideal circumstances in God's will than to be anywhere out of it. Oh, but preacher, this car smells good, and man, we are, we're loving it. But man, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do for missions what we've been doing. Done stopped preaching and start meddling. Preacher, we love this house. This house is awesome. It's our dream house. And we just may not be able to, to give like we used to give. But, oh, we love this house. It's better to be in less than ideal circumstances in God's will where you can still obey the Bible than to be anywhere else. New car, new house, new job, new city. It's better to be where you're at in God's will than to be anywhere else outside of it. Then here's the last point. Some of you are going, it's about time. Because I'm not happy with you, Pastor. Well, it's not going to get any better. Think of others who will be impacted by your decision. Right. 
You see, getting ahead of God always causes collateral damage. You not only hurt yourself, which is bad enough, but you also hurt others around you. And it's usually those you love the most. Abraham and Sarah's impatience brought great difficulty to the life of Hagar, to their own lives, and listen to this, and ultimately to the lives of others. And I've pointed this out in numerous sermons over the, over the course of the last several years. Their decision brought great difficulty upon your life today in 2019. And upon my life, tomorrow morning, and the life of my wife tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock when we get on a Southwest Airlines plane to fly to Dallas where I'll preach this weekend, what Abraham and Sarah did is causing a lot of grief. Because now we have to stand in line and be humiliated by filthy hands As we go through security, preacher, what are you talking about? Islam comes from Ishmael. The Jews come from Abraham. The Islamics come from Ishmael. Over 3,000 people paid the price. On September the 11th because Abraham and Sarah didn't wait and everyone who's lost their lives around the world including here since 2011 you know why that's happened because Abraham and Sarah didn't wait on God. Think of the others who will be impacted by your decision. Do not, do not just think about yourself. So husbands, before you would uproot your family, Move off to wherever. You need to make sure God's in it. Because even if God's in it, it's going to be hard on your kids anyway, trying to readjust. And only God knows the pain and the agony that's going to be caused if you do something like that outside of God's will. Yeah, but preacher puts me closer here, closer to this, closer to that, blah, 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 blah. Think of others who will be impacted by your decision. Before you make a commitment to a relationship, you better make sure that God's in it. Because nothing can cause as much collateral damage as a bad marriage. Before you make that purchase, you better make sure God's in it. 
because the pain of paying for it will far outweigh the joy of having it if he's not. Tracking with me? The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing he had. You need to write that down. Ah, but preacher, hardest thing I've ever had to do was wait on God. No. No, get ahead of God and get out of his will, and you'll find out it's a lot harder than waiting on him. Okay, Pastor, okay. I get all of that. But your message tonight is about six months too late. Your message tonight is a year and a half too late. It's five years too late. Preacher, why didn't you preach this five years ago? Because I got ahead of God and now I'm having to live with the regrets. Well, I got good news for you tonight. God can redeem your regrets. Abraham and Sarah, listen, they still got to have Isaac. Amen. They stepped outside of God's will. They got ahead of God. They did something that God didn't want them to do, but God redeemed it as only God can. And he brought good out of it. His name is Isaac. You see, even in your failure, God still loves you. And he can still bless you. Even though God didn't plan your mistake, he can use your mistake as part of his plan. I love that about God. He can still use your mistake as part of his plan. Let's go to Genesis 37. We'll wrap it up. Ready for the invitation. Genesis chapter 37. Let me say it again. Even though God didn't plan your mistake, that was all of your own doing. He can use your mistake as part of his plan. Genesis 37. We're now in the life of Joseph. Look at verse 24. And they took him, that's Joseph's brothers, and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and be, looked, and behold, a company of what, church? Talk to me, come on. Ishmaelites. What was the name of the son born to Abraham and Hagar? Ishmael. Where do you think the Ishmaelites came from? Ishmael. And they came from Gilgal with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. And there passed by Midianites, merchant men, 
And they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. <laughs> and they, the Ishmaelites, brought Joseph into Egypt. Even though God didn't plan your mistake, he didn't plan Abraham and Sarah's mistake. But he used their mistake as part of his plan. Do you know the story? The Ishmaelites got Joseph into Egypt where he could make ready for the famine that was going to hit Canaan. And when it hit, Joseph's family had food to eat. And so they survived. And thus they were able, listen, connect the dots here, they were able to continue the godly line of Abraham from whom came Jesus Christ. <laughs> it doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. What matters is what you're willing to let God do or what God let God make your mistake let me say that a little more fluid it doesn't matter what mistakes you've made what matters is what you're willing to let God make of your mistake